This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Border services at the Hamilton Airport seized uh, just under 800 grams of heroin hidden within a uh, women's high-heeled shoe. Uh, how often does this thing, does this sort of thing happen? What sort of uh, things are in place in order to prevent this? Uh, tip of the iceberg. Let's bring in Ross McLean, crime specialist, security expert, RossMcLeanSecurity.com to find out more. He is with us now. Hello, Ross. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, good to be with you, Scott. Uh, this These high-heeled shoes are just the tip of the iceberg, if you will, about how drugs get smuggled into Canada. Now, I saw the picture uh, that was in the press in regard to this. It just looked like a box with a, a pile of shoes thrown in it, you know, something anybody could have sent while packing uh, things and shipping it from point A to point B. What made this stand out? Yeah, well, it's actually interesting from a few points of view. Num- number one is the the originating uh, place for this package that came over. It came over from Pakistan here to the, you know, the smaller airport of Hamilton, which some may think if you're in the art of smuggling, maybe they pay less attention at the smaller uh, locales, even though it's quite a busy airport that does a lot of work. Uh, and let's not forget that Pakistan is right next to Afghanistan, and we've got a huge heroin problem that flows out of all that. And we just saw that, you know, the U.S. president is putting Pakistan, you know, sort of held to account a little bit more for how they're dealing with the illicit acts that go on between terror and likely drugs. So it's a, just a small version of how wide world events uh, can impact uh, little cities like Hamilton and, and right through to Toronto where the people were charged who were going to receive this package, Scott. You talked about Hamilton being a smaller airport, uh, certainly very busy, has lots of traffic, heavy cargo, um, but it is one of the smaller airports. Uh, any reason to think that it would be any easier to smuggle anything in through Hamilton as it would any other airport? Well, that may be what you think. Uh, you don't have to have a person attached to the uh, attached to it who's carrying it, who's standing right there, who's going to be arrested if you're having it shipped through. But the Canada Border Services here, uh, from the stories we've read, uh, they were going through. They were doing a hand inspection. They saw this. They thought the shoe looked regular and not well built, so they took it. They went and X-rayed it, and lo and behold, they found 800 grams of heroin stuffed in the heels of a few different pairs of shoes. Now, just to put that in perspective, not that I know the street price on this stuff all the time, Scott, but that's about $80,000 worth of heroin. So here's someone who's in the business of obviously bringing it in, uh, shipping it and selling it. And guess what? That's going to result in the drug problems that we have on our streets across Canada. We have in Toronto. And I don't know yet, Scott, have you guys got a little pop-up safe injection site somewhere in Hamilton like we're getting now in yeah, Toronto? Yeah, that's all the chatter, our, sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, well, we've got them in the parks in downtown Toronto, and this is going to change neighbourhoods. These, these drugs are serious, serious problems. Uh, Scott, heroin, you'll get people, it's almost always troubled people who turn to these drugs because they're trying to forget life forget past uh, family violence and problems and they turn to these drugs and then they are addicted and it's no longer in their control to deal with uh, it's, it's a really serious scourge in our society i know too many people whose families have lost people to these this scourge so uh getting back to security itself policy is the same across all borders and all borders uh, equally as difficult to penetrate or or get stuff through we all have the same stuff same equipment same manpower well, resources are limited, and they cost money, and they will beef them up at certain places at certain times and cover stuff. Rest assured, they do have some coverage at most points, but as we're seeing with immigration uh, policy, some stuff can just get walked across. But look, here's, here's another issue that ties to this. We're talking about the heroin coming in here. As you know, fentanyl 
is is the big killer that we're seeing now mixed in with other drugs. This is, Scott, something where just a few little uh, grains of fentanyl, you touch it, it can kill you, you can overdose on it. That's coming in, I believe we talked about this before, just being mailed in through the post to people in small envelopes because the law has been up until, we're hoping we're going to change it soon, that if you have an envelope or a package that's less than five grams, uh, the border security people are not allowed to open it and look at it and check into it. And I understand there's legislation coming up to change that because it's just coming in in envelopes, uh, getting mailed right through this fentanyl that's coming in and, and causing people to die all over our country. Uh, do uh, Because of this situation that happened, uh, happened in Hamilton, uh, any reason to believe that's part of a larger ring? Will that change investigating uh, investigative procedure here in this airport? Well, they'll start taking a look. Once again, maybe they'll see a, a rise um, in in uh, drugs coming in from particular addresses or people. They'll have those flagged. Hopefully that's where they'll be able to get to with the fentanyl as well, too. So much of it comes from China that they'll be able to, uh, you know, most letters, almost all packages these days, of course, get scanned when they go somewhere and they get sorted automatically at some point. That's how it happens. So if you can scan an address, you can flag an address or a location or a particular person, and then put more emphasis onto those packages as they come through to search them. So you can use some some intelligence, uh, if you will, artificial intelligence to screen out certain packages to look at. And and hopefully, you know, the border security people working with um, the cargo companies, although some cargo companies, uh, they may find this a second way of making some money, right? You never know. There's uh, people on the inside sometimes too. So it's a it's a pretty tough job for Canada Border Services to do, but uh, they're working on it. So basically, this was a package that came in, as you mentioned. Um, uh, uh, the They say that the uh, officers noted, noticed a smell coming from the package and then did an x-ray on the package and then decided uh, that they were going to, to, uh, to open it. Would they sense a smell from something like that in the sole of a shoe? Well, it's hard to say how they actually got the smell for doing it. You know, one of the things that's happening with technology now is because of the advancement of uh, terrorism uh, with explosives, we're getting newer technology put together and deployed at airports uh, that certainly have destinations going to the U.S. anywhere you have it, where you have, uh, they can detect explosives, right? They put a little puff of air onto something. They, they analyze the air that comes off it. They're looking for explosives. I'm sure it's not that big of a stretch or that hard of a thing to do to add a little bit more software and another sensor to start detecting things like uh, heroin and fentanyl and those sort of things if they're able to sensitize them uh, to that, Scott. So hopefully we can add that to the arsenal uh, to fight against this. Would they, would they, I mean, this is a cargo airport, a cargo situation. It's like, not like there's a passenger there. Would they uh, x-ray every single package? I mean, how would you do this? How would you monitor this? Well, it depends. I, I had done some work many years ago for Canada Post, and they've got a section set up where a lot of their things come through, and they've got certain telltale signs they look for in packages, where they're coming, where they're going, what they look like, what the what they're doing. Because they, they seize, uh, I was actually unbelievable when I got to see the stuff they seize that gets moved in the mail uh, just all the time, all kinds of illegal contraband and, and things like that. And they, they take it and they put it off to the side. So, you know, it, it's a question. If you don't have time to x-ray and look at everything, I'm sure they have to pick their spots because you have to keep the mail and the cargo moving, right? You can't hold yeah. it all up while you x-ray every single package that goes through. Maybe we'll get to the point where technology is cheap enough and fast enough that we can 
get to more of that, but uh, I don't think we're there right now. Uh, the fact that there was no person involved at this point, obviously they, uh, you know, they continue, they figure out what it is, and then they let the package continue on its journey, obviously monitoring uh, where it's going and when it arrives at its destination, and then they arrest people at the address, correct? Yeah, well, that's what it looks like they did here. We don't know that for certain from the reporting from it, but the the package was uh, seen on the 18th of July. The arrests were made uh, a few weeks after that. So, yeah, did they allow it to go through? Did they look to see who picked it up? You know, this is one of the issues I've talked to you about before. Many times the courier companies and the people delivering the last mile get stuck in the middle of this. And you'll you'll have things that will happen, for instance, Scott, where maybe it's, a, maybe it's sent to an address of a street and, in uh, downtown Toronto or downtown Hamilton, and the person who's getting it, who it's addressed to, someone else will run out as the parcel person comes up and say, oh, yeah, that's me, I'll take it. Hmm. They're not the person, so they hopefully can get it and get away with it kind of thing. So there's all kinds of tricks that take place in what we call the last mile for also getting access to, to these packages and, and hopefully not getting busted. But in this case, police have charged two people with it uh, from Toronto. So these are some drugs and some dealers that... Uh, if, if they're guilty, they're found guilty, hopefully they'll be doing some time and they won't be putting this stuff out on our streets. So uh, obviously, if if you're a person who has his name or address or you're the one that this is delivered to or goes to pick up the package, you are then obviously responsible for that package and could be charged with the contents. Well, you have to watch out for it. Most people know when they go to the airport, one of the questions you get, is this your bag? Did you pack it and did yeah. you seal it? Right. Mm-hmm. And you say yes, and they say, okay, they open it up, and there's something in there that's contraband. I mean, you're on the hook for saying that you're the one that was with it. Or, you know, there's there's certainly people who claim the stories of someone just asked me to take this back for them, you know, from, from wherever, and I didn't know that was in there. You know, and the police have to investigate and, and find the dupes from the uh, actual mules that are carrying these drugs and do it, you know, and they and hopefully, like I said, we're getting better. We've talked about this before too, Scott, the ability to track people in their travels as they go leave Canada and go around the world. Are we able to put together enough information from all the different databases to identify patterns, you know, to look at people who've got a pattern that fits someone who's operating as a drug mule? I mean, that's a question I don't have the answer to. I hope it's one that we do and our secret uh, and intelligence services are working on that to uh, pop these people. Uh, with the amount uh, that was seized here, just uh, 799 grams, uh, would that be part of a ring? Is that someone uh, just doing this uh, blindly on their own? What, what, how, what would your thoughts be on that? Well, that's $80,000 worth of heroin, yeah. $80,000 street value. So somewhere along the line, someone got paid for that or is expecting to get paid for that, right? Depends on the deals. I mean, we can all watch the movies, you know, about the drug dealers and stuff. Do you pay for it up front? How is the money transferred? Uh, How does the money get between Canada or where is it paid for? I mean, that's part of uh, what the police and the intelligence services will be looking at. There's a whole division called FinTrack that does nothing but try to track drug and terrorist money and, and how it moves about and goes somewhere. I mean, look, the way money moves to Scott is another thing that is a concern. There was a time a little while ago where a very rich uh, Los Angeles mall developer, very, very wealthy, wanted to get his money out of the country and not be taxed. And he had uh, some banking executives from a Swiss bank come over, say they were on vacation, they met him, he turned a bunch of his money into diamonds. Those diamonds were then stuffed inside of tubes of toothpaste and given to the banking executives, and they went back and just went home, and it was never found until somebody blew the whistle at the bank on the issue that this is how uh, the diamonds and the money and the transfer was getting out of the country. 
So there's all kinds of ways that people are doing it, and it's uh, hard to keep up with it, but they're working hard at it. Ross McLean has been with us, crime specialist, security expert, RossMcLeanSecurity.com to find out more. Ross, thanks for the time as always. Much appreciated. Have a great and safe weekend, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Mike Duffy in the news again. Uh, Of course, we remember the big scandal of the last government. Uh, Mike Duffy is suing the Senate and the RCMP 7.8 million bucks uh, in lost income and damages from his trial, stating his basic rights as a citizen were trampled. Uh, Basically, 31 charges. They get all thrown out, and his name is Mud. Do they owe him something? Uh, let's bring in Cristo Avalis. He is a Queen's University labor and political history professor and is with us now. Hello, Cristo. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for taking the chance, uh, the time to join us. We greatly appreciate this. Uh, so uh, your thoughts on Mike Duffy. Does he have a right to uh, to sue the uh, the RCMP and the Senate over this? Well, you know, of course, any any anybody has a right. You know, it's He's a Canadian citizen, and he's entitled to all the, you know, the tools of due process, uh, be it in civil or criminal court. Now, whether or not he deserves to win is, is not something, I, you know, I'm able to decide that's, that's going to be a matter for the courts. But, you know, I think, in a sense, you know, you could certainly, you know, even if you don't ultimately agree, you can kind of see his perspective. He, he went through quite a bit, you know, for a long time. He was seen as either by, you know, say, you know, non-conservatives as, you know, uh, endemic of the, the what was wrong with the Harper government, or from from conservatives' perspective, here was this guy who was, you know, really hurting our chances to keep our government. And you know, at least in the courts where you're innocent until proven guilty, um, you know, he had almost, you know, three dozen charges thrown out. I, I think he would certainly feel like he has merit to go on the counterattack. Uh, should he be suing the Conservative Party? You know, I mean, I I think. That, that's another question. I think if it's in relation to the charges, he has to kind of look at, you know, the government and the RCMP as the bodies that did it. Although, you know, one could argue that it, with certain parts of the cases and, 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 and how that was handled, that he would have grievances with them as well. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, of course. I, I can't recommend who he should sue, uh, sue or anybody. But you, you would think that, the, you know, if there's issues with, you know, the criminal prosecution here, there could be issues with how he dealt with uh, his former political party. Uh, and obviously, if the Conservatives were the uh, political party or the government of the day, then it's up to, you know, it's like anything. If you're the government, you're the government. The government, in the end, I guess, has to pay, correct? Yes. The, 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 you know, when we talk about the government in Canada, you know, you could talk about the existing party in power. You know, right now it's, the, you know, the Trudeau Liberal federally. Mm-hmm. But the government of Canada you know, persists regardless of party. So when you sue the government, uh, even if a particular agency or, 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 or prime minister could be at fault, if you're suing the Canadian government, you're suing the kind of, you know, body entity that's existed since, you know, 1867. And, you know, that money will, will come from, you know, that, that revenue, regardless of uh, whether the uh, current party was at fault or, or, you know, or not. You know, uh, we, we all certainly remember when all of this was going, and, and uh, whether you love him or you hate him, uh, the 31 charges uh, were thrown out. Was he a scapegoat here? Do we owe him something just for that? I mean, the fact that 31 charges were nothing stuck? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, often with these kinds of cases, you know, there there are a lot of charges, and, you know, when it sounds 31, you know, it could be 31 isolated things. It could also be some of them are all kind of connected, so if one is thrown out, then by, you know, process of elimination, right. a whole others are thrown out. So, you know, somebody who's more of a, a legal expert could, could speak to each one of the charges and, and what the consequences are for, for one of those being thrown out. But, I, you know, you know there, there is a sense that Mike Duffy, perhaps even more than, than you know, Patrick Brazo and, and, and others who, who kind of at around the same time became poster children for, you know, the Senate, uh, Mike Duffy seemed to kind of become this emblem for uh, what was wrong with the government of the day uh, and what, especially what was wrong with the Senate. You know, this body that's unelected, you can't really get rid of senators until they become too old to serve in the Senate. You know, it just it rubbed Canadians a lot, a lot of Canadians the wrong way, including Canadians who, you know, might generally support the Senate. So, you know, when you become such a negative emblem, I think in a sense it, it does make you want to, to, to kind of fight your, fight your fight. I mean, on the one hand, his name has been cleared in a legal sense, but, you know, one could argue that, you know, in a, in a justice system, sometimes the accused always have it difficult because if they're found guilty, they're guilty. Or if they're found not guilty, they say, well, he's certainly not found innocent, right? Hmm. So by making, you know, a more of an affirmative case, he might be able trying to bolster his, uh, his image. It could also be that, you know, he has, you know, he's retired from all of his formal careers. He's not really a, a working journalist anymore. You know, he, this could be one of, uh, a crusade that he just personally believes in, that he was, he was wronged, and this is his next step. Uh, he, as you mentioned, he certainly did become a lightning rod for anything that was wrong with the Senate, and there was lots uh, in that group uh, during that time period. Do you think the country's attitude towards him has changed now? Do you think there's, you know, because at one time after this was quite fresh, there was rumor of him doing this, and everybody was... Wah, 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 wah. Do you think maybe as time has passed and people realize that... You know they, you know they, they didn't convict him of everything. Do you think there? Do you think the country's attitudes change towards him? Do you think any people are more sympathetic towards him now? I think so. I think you know whenever you know again, even with a lot of cases, sometimes when someone's found not guilty, the recourse is that well they're not innocent. There's there's always going to be people that believe he did it or was guilty or or that the courts he got off on a technicality or whatever you want to argue. But I think people will be more sympathetic given that you know his name was cleared. I think people, I think the issue is also less poignant because the government changed. So, you know, if the conservatives would have won again, this issue might have kind of stayed up. Yeah, because it really was, Christo, it really was an election issue. And then, 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 uh, then it was just out of the news. It didn't matter anymore. Well, yeah, and I think a, a part of that, uh, you know, is that the government changed. And, you know, this is not a scandal you can put on Justin Trudeau in any way. And the current government is gone, and a lot of the big players in that government gone. You know, especially the prime minister, and, and you know, a lot of the key staff implicated in this scandal or alleged scandal or what have you, um, were gone. And I think, in that sense, um, you know, Canadians just didn't have to care as much about it, or certainly didn't feel like they had to care as much about it. And just in general, as with all scandals, big and small, you know, time does kind of dial, uh, you know, dilute people's. 
you know, feelings on something. Christo, do you think this was less about Duffy and more about Harper? Um, you know, Duffy more collateral damage. People didn't care about Duffy. It was just another tool in the box to get Harper out. And then once Harper was out, then no one cared what happened to Duffy anymore. Yeah, I, I think it was it was about Harper to a certain to a large degree. It was also about the politics of the Senate. So I think, in a sense, it was about you know Stephen Harper's government is is it's you know it's tired, it's corrupt. All you know, all of these shady dealings are happening. People cutting checks for other people, you know, behind closed doors. It doesn't look right. It doesn't smell right. A lot of these senators were former media people. You know, we're bringing them into the party. It's like. What does that mean about the media connections? And I think for for certain people, uh, Tom Mulcair made a big deal out of this, was that one of his points was that the Senate, you know, needs to either be substantially reformed or abolished. And for those kind of arguments, you could point to people like Duffy, fairly or not, again, given he was was cleared of his charges, and say, this is what's wrong with this entire unelected, unaccountable, you know, body. So I think in that sense, it was less about him and more about uh, either the politics or of the day or the philosophy of what the Senate is and can be. You bring up a valid point, Christo. So, what did the Canadian? What did the? What do Canadians or what did Canadians get out of all of this? I mean, obviously the charges didn't stick. Um, what do we get for all of the expense? Is the Senate different now? Is it changed? Are are there rules? Uh, did we learn anything from this? Did we get anything out of it? Well, you know, I think people are paying more attention to the Senate uh, now. Uh, they're looking at expenses, and, you know, there's always the, the, the kind of formal and informal benefits you get. You know, if you were to do a, a cost-benefit analysis and say, look, we investigated improper spending, and we found $1 million of spending that was improperly spent, but it cost us $2 million to, to do it, you might say, well, we wasted a $1 million. But you could also say, well, you know, it's not always about the money. You know, uh, accountability is also about, you know, confidence in Canadian government for regular Canadians, you know, citizens, taxpayers, what have you. Um, I think to a certain degree, senators are certainly more careful now uh, about how they, you know, uh, expense things, how they compart themselves. Uh, You know, I, I think that's changed. I think that this has given an impetus to some of the changes that the Justin Trudeau liberals have done. Namely, what they've done is they've started appointing their senators as, as independent. They don't sit in the Liberal caucus. Historically, what would happen is most senators that would be appointed would be appointed by a prime minister. And if the prime minister was conservative, they would be part of the, 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 the caucus along with right. members of parliament. Nowadays, that isn't the case. Others you know, might say you know, that they're basically liberals and everything but the kind of formality. A lot of these reforms, I think, were certainly supported because over the last couple of years, you know, with, with Duffy, with, you know, Brazo and others, there really has been this sense that, you know, something needed to change. Are all and the bad ones happened. are all the bad ones gone now, Christo? I mean, I don't know. I mean I don't know if we well again with with Duffy, was he a bad one? We don't know. We don't know, right? And I, I would say that, you know, with anything you know, there's going to be scandal. There's still going to be, you know, either scandal in a sense that somebody is willfully misproprietary, you know, uh, being, you know, uh, you know, wasteful of taxpayer dollars, or in some of these cases, it could be honest miscommunication. Um, you know, I think what Justin Trudeau is trying to do, um, and whether he'll be successful or not, we'll have to see if there's a Senate scandal, 
is say, look, I'm appointing these senators. They're great people, but they're not liberals. They're not part of my government. Whereas what Stephen Harper got into trouble for was not so much that he picked these people, but that he picked them and then, you know, closely aligned himself with them. And they did fundraisers for the party. Some of them were party operatives. And in that sense, it's very difficult to say, you know, look, I just appointed this person to the Senate. So I think that's going to be the next big test is um, if one of Trudeau's, you know, independent appointees faces a scandal of a similar kind of level to Duffy, let's say, um, how does he deal with that? And does the public believe this new narrative that the Senate is more independent now and therefore can be less tied to the sitting prime minister in his cabinet? What about Duffy's future? What's left for him? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, frankly, there could be a really good book here. For instance, there's mm-hmm. obviously this, this court case here will be no small feat. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to get off your charges, again, innocent until proven guilty, but to sue a government, you know, over wrongful pursuit of charges or wrongful conviction is always harder because you have to, pr- you have to kind of prove, you know, malice or, or, or severe negligence, um, you know, go, that goes beyond, well, we made a mistake. So that could take a lot of time and a lot of money. You know, I think that's, you know, it certainly gives him a, a window into, or back into, in a sense, the public spotlight. I don't know if we'll see him return to journalism. I think it's still, he's still too controversial of a figure. But I wouldn't be surprised if, especially after these court cases are, are you know, wrapped up, that you'll, you'll see a, a real potential blockbuster book out of this. That would be my inkling, anyway. Idea. Will this go to court, or do you think there'll be a settlement? I I, I, no, I I have no clue. Yeah. I have no clue. That's that's something that that I, I assume the all, the all the lawyers are talking about, um, and that's probably just going to be you know cost benefit analysis and, and all of that. I, I don't know. What do you? How do you think Harper feels about this? He can't be holding his head high about this. It's hard for him. I mean, it was going to be hard for Harper in either case. If Duffy's found guilty, um, then. You know, then, it, then this guy who was picked for the Senate by Harper and then who was close to the Conservative Party during his senatorial tenure is going to, is going to, to tarnish him, too. But if he's found innocent, or, or not guilty, rather, um, then it makes it look like some of the Conservative cover-ups and uh, attempts to disassociate, them from, from, disassociate themselves from, from Duffy were kind of threw him under the bus, and that makes them look like they were just trying to save their own skin you know, whether Duffy was, was innocent or not. So I think in that sense, this was kind of a lose-lose for him uh, as regards to whether Duffy was guilty or not. All right, joining us has been Christo Avalis. Avalis, sorry, Christo Avalis. Oh, so I did it again. Christo Avalis. <laughs> Christo no Avalis. Sorry, Christo. Queen's University Labor and Political History Professor. Fascinating discussion. Christo, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Let's bring in Scott Radley in this corner. Uh, uh, Floyd Mayweather uh, and, of course, UFC UFC star uh, Conor McGregor going face-to-face Las Vegas this weekend. A boxing match. How do you compare these two disciplines? Uh, let's ask Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. Of course, you can hear him here every weeknight. And sports columnist in your Hamilton Spectator, weighing in at... Um, want to jump in here, Scott? Weighing in at... Uh... Oh, wait, no, I don't want to jump in. Okay, never mind. <laughs> His weight is unknown at this point. Yeah, from parts unknown and weighing in on a 
Yeah, no. Uh, and we don't know how it, much his part's unknown way, so let's yeah, move on. Scott. Weighing in at 30 pounds more than he wants to be. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's right. Weighing in, weight weighing in at way above the class. Yeah, i got to cut some weight before this, uh, before, well, whatever, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I want to talk to you about other stuff first, but let's talk about the fight since that's what we uh, brought yeah. you on to talk about. Uh, boxing, uh, boxer versus UFC. Is this about the boxer against the UFC star, or is this about the two disciplines fighting each other? Uh, this is about $100 million for each man and $300 million left over for the promoters is what this is about. This has got... Well, I had Vinny Ryan. Vinny Ryan is a local legend. He's a boxing coach. He's been a provincial, national, international coach. He's an Irish guy, one of the nicest men in Hamilton. That's how I introduced him last night. And we were chatting, and he hit the nail on the head. On the show last night, he said, look, this has got nothing to do with anything except money. Yes, but why are people paying the money? What's the buzz? And at the end of the day, the reason people are paying the money is because they want to see a UFC star go up against a boxer. Uh, Partially. Partially, although that was actually the very first, that's what launched UFC way back. That was the genesis. This whole thing, interestingly, was what got UFC going. It was, Mm. let's put a boxer and a wrestler and a judogi and a karate guy and someone with kung fu and and a street fighter, and let's have a tournament and see who the best fighter is at the end. That that was actually And in the end the WWE the and in the end the WWE guy wins. Oh, maybe not that kind of wrestling. Well, no. In, in that would end, make it truly entertaining, that would Scott. Make it very, if you could jump off the top turnbuckle <laughs> Um, yeah, and bring in a foreign object. Have Iron Mike Sharp pull out the foreign object that's under it. his wristband. That's what UFC needs, more big hair and sparkles. Well, here's the interesting part about this though. The UFC is not the sport, in North America anyway, is not the sport out of these two that needs the jolt. What has actually made this fight such a huge hype event is not just the fact that you've got two guys who are very complicated human beings. And when I say complicated, it would be very easy under most circumstances to dislike both of them for their behaviors on and or out of the ring or the cage. But they are very successful. But the big thing is they're great at hype, Conor McGregor is bringing most of the fans into this. Most of the, so many of the people yeah. who are interested in this are the UFC, the MMA fans. Yes, boxing, boxing boxing needs this more than the UFC needs. Well, it, yes, it does. Boxing has taken a backseat. Go over to Europe, and boxing is still enormous. Go around the rest of the world. Boxing is still a really, really big sport. But here, I'm trying to think of the last time we had someone that drove the conversation in boxing, and... Uh, Someone can jump in and tell me otherwise, but I'm thinking Mike Tyson might be the last guy that really, when there was a fight, everybody knew he was fighting and when he was fighting and all the rest. We don't have that now. So why the draw? Why the big money? Why the huge money? Is that? Do you not think that's because people who are fans of of mixed martial arts and the UFC want to see how they how their guy stands up against a, a boxer? Yes, and and. Beyond that, not just how their guy stands up, because I don't think he's going to stand up very well, because this is um, this is not his sport. He is learning how to fight against. Uh, he's learning how to perform in a certain type of fighting against a guy who is the very, very best at it. This would be. I was trying to think of a good comparison to this. This would be like a a family practitioner 
who's you know a doctor, a, br- a very bright person who's gone through medical school, knows a lot about a lot, <laughs> being asked to go in and do some specialized yeah. form Open of heart surgery. internal brain surgery yeah. that they're not really trained for. Yes, they're a doctor. Yeah. They yes, can do better at it than you or I could, but that's not saying exactly, much. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we're talking about. That Floyd Mayweather has done something. It's a very specific thing he does. MMA... The word MMA is mixed martial arts. It's a little bit of all kinds of different fighting. If this was a fight in the UFC, Floyd Mayweather would not stand a chance. He would lose in the first minute because Conor McGregor would take him down to the mat and then a boxer has no idea what to do when he's on his back and the fight would be over. But this is not. But the other thing is, this is MMA fighters, sorry, MMA fans, what's drawing this? MMA fans are hoping and praying and clinging to the fact that their guy can win or at least look really good. Because if he does, if Conor McGregor, even if he doesn't win this, if he looks reasonable, if he doesn't get knocked out or just toyed with, they can argue then that ours truly is the better form of fighting. Ours is the better entertainment. Ours is the real fighting champion of the world. And I'll tell you what, for that reason... MMA, the UFC, MMA, the sport, has very little at risk here. This is, unless Conor McGregor gets knocked out in the first minute, or as I say, is just so... What if he is, though, Scott? I mean, like, what what, what could and will this do for either sport, depending on the outcome? So, if Conor McGregor is absolutely destroyed... I don't know how much it hurts MMA, but it, that doesn't help MMA because then you say, okay, look, that, that boxing is a boxer in the ring is so much better. But boxing has so much more to lose in this fight because yeah. if Conor McGregor lasts the whole, the whole way, goes the whole distance, if Conor McGregor makes it a competitive fight, if, and I don't think this, there's almost any chance, I'm giving it 1% chance that he wins, but if Conor McGregor somehow wins this fight, then you've now got a guy who has learned to box, really learned to box, really concentrated on boxing for four months, taking out a guy who is 49-0 and and has never been knocked down and is arguably the greatest boxer of his generation. If If McGregor wins this thing, boxing has a massive, massive credibility problem because... Then anybody who's talking about boxing, you're saying, hey, boxers are, are the better pugilists, the better combat fighters. You're going, look, a guy who barely knew how to fight took out your best guy. Yeah. Give me a break. So yeah. boxing has everything to lose in this one. Floyd Mayweather, he's making $100 bucks, give or take, but he's fighting for way more than money, and he's fighting for way more than Floyd Mayweather's career or his reputation. He is fighting to protect the legacy and the dignity and the credibility of his sport. That's a lot to carry into a ring. Uh, so talk about the two different disciplines, why one has an advantage over the other. Well, um, again, I go back to my surgeon versus general practitioner example. Yeah. Floyd Mayweather, when he's training and through his life, every day has worked on one particular thing. Yeah. He has worked on one type of of fighting. Conor McGregor, over his career, has worked on wrestling, jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, boxing, whatever. There's all kinds of... Is there anything he can bring from those disciplines to help him box? Well, look, there are some people who, you know, and this has been talked about a lot, who go, oh, well, he's going to, if he gets in trouble, he's going to land a roundhouse kick to the head and, and, no. Yeah, he just snaps and all of a sudden takes his head off. Uh, Conor McGregor, um, even if you thought he was a guy who potentially might snap, what drives Conor McGregor, I believe, among other things, is money. 
And apparently, uh, it's been well reported, there are massive fines built into the contract that if he were to do something outside the rules of boxing, that he would lose a huge amount of his purse. Oh, wow. It's not worth it for him. People would love to see that, though. Yeah. Oh, they would love it, but (laughs) he's not going to lose, I don't know what it would be, let's say $25 million. He's not going to give up $25 million to throw a leg kick. So what could he bring to it? That's a, you know, it's a great question, and, and there's been a lot of people who have been trying to figure out, is there something that he would bring that every other boxer in the history of boxing has not yet figured out? And I find it hard to believe the only thing that I think might give him some little bit of advantage is, and let me use a different example now from the doctors, there are, go back to the old days, even in Vietnam, and this is, this is sort of a strange example, but generals prepared for war by studying the tendencies of other generals. You, you learned what someone was going to do. You anticipated and you prepared your battle plan mm-hmm. based on accepted principles of warfare. Well, now you get into a fight with guerrilla warriors, that's G-U-E, not G-O-R, um, guerrilla, you know, hiding in the bushes and not, not working in a way that you have predicted before. And that is a difficult thing to deal with. We've seen that over in the Middle East, in, in, in Iraq, with the civilian soldiers and roadside bombs. This is not traditional warfare. Maybe Conor McGregor can bring something unpredictable enough that he's not necessarily the better boxer, but that Mayweather can't really anticipate what he's going to do, and so it's going to take him a while to figure out what's going on. And what? in the meantime, McGregor can maybe make some hey, I don't know, I don't know. What about levels of fitness, endurance? Oh, they'll both be, look. It's a hundred million dollars, and the reality is that if this is a great fight, and I doubt it's going to be, but if this is a great fight, there is a chance for a rematch. Nobody's going to come into this thing out of shape. Nobody's going to come into this thing having taken it easy and not being ready to go. There is just, you know, Scott. Look, I, as I said off the top, I'm thirty pounds over where I was, where I want to be. If you had told me that you could four months to get into shape and it's worth $100 million to you, I would do nothing but run and go to the gym. You'd have a six-pack, Jack. I, I, Scott, I would have a 14-pack. <laughs> I mean, look, there's, there's, this is, these guys are going to be at their best. Yeah. I just don't know if McGregor's best in this particular sport is going to be enough. Now, one other thing, and that is... I, I still give him 1% of a chance because the thing that Floyd Mayweather is so good at is not being hit. Mm-hmm. He is not an exciting fighter, but you can't hit him, and that's what's made him win. He's probably, of any fighter who's had 49 professional fights, he's probably been hit fewer than anyone else in history. But the one thing you say for Conor McGregor, and I, I, this sounds silly to say it, and I don't know how he does it, but somehow the guy manages, even when other people seem like they can't be beaten or when they're untouchable or whatever else. We've seen it in the UFC with him, guys that you would say, oh, he's going to have a real trouble with this guy, and he knocks him out in eight seconds. So could it happen? It, it could happen. I think the only chance, quite honestly, I think the only chance that Conor McGregor has in this fight is if Floyd Mayweather, for reasons that would be inexplicable to all of us, decides, you know what, I'm 40 years old now, 
I'm going to abandon the style of fighting that I have that made me successful all my life. <laughs> I'm going to try to win at his own game. <laughs> and I'm going to do something completely different, and I want to knock him out rather than win. If, if Floyd Mayweather abandons what's made him successful, maybe Conor McGregor is able to do something. Otherwise, I, I just, honestly, I can't see it. Does this resurrect game, boxing? Will this resurrect uh, well, boxing? Maybe. Maybe. Um, but again, it, for it to resurrect boxing, I really believe that A, it has to be an exciting fight, and B, Mayweather has to win convincingly. If this goes to the cards, if this goes to the judges, um, well, no, I don't, uh, I don't see that. Now, the other thing is if it goes to the judges, consider this for a second. If, if, again, I go back to my point. If McGregor wins this fight, it, it's pretty much death for boxing. These are boxing judges who are going to be judging this card. If it goes the distance and it goes to the judges and they're filling out their card and they go, wait a second, if I give this fight to McGregor, I'm pretty much running myself out of a career. Ooh, that'll get, his, that'll get ugly. What do you think his chances are of winning in the if there's sc- If there's so. scandal interwound in this in any some way, in any way, it'll just get very ugly. Oh no no no! Why no. why oh, is they would Mi- love it if it was scandal because then you get the rematch and now it's another hundred. Yeah, million there you bucks. go. Uh, why is mixed martial arts largely an American sport? Why isn't it? Why is boxing still bigger in Europe? Oh no! Well, no, mixed martial arts is not. Mixed martial arts is everywhere. It's just that boxing has sort of fallen off the table here. Um, mixed martial arts is huge over in, in all through South America. But boxing still on top there. Boxing is is much bigger there than it is here, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there just hasn't been an American superstar right. in a while. But more than that, in the UFC, well, MMA is the name of the sport. UFC is the name of the league. Yeah. When you talk about it, talk about it with the average person. What do they say when you talk about it? They say UFC. Yeah, That's because if you are in the UFC... They know that's the league, that's the champion. It's like being in the NHL or in the NBA. Boxing has, what, four, five different alphabet organizations, so yeah. there's four or five champions in each weight class. No one, no one can keep track of who the best fighter is. The best fighter in one conference or one league isn't the same in another. It's, the UFC has made this very it, – it's clarified, and if you watch – NSA, you know who the best guys are. They do an unbelievable job. Anyone who's ever been to a fight, and they've had a bunch of them at Rogers Center or at the Air Canada Center, the show they put on is unbelievable. Mm. Boxing has, and, and that is North American sports now. We don't just go yeah. for the sports, yeah. we go for the hype. And it's the experience. Show. Boxing has yeah. missed some of that, and the UFC has grabbed it. Uh, I can't let you go without asking you your thoughts on uh, the changes at the Thai Cats and the coaching staff. What are your thoughts moving forward for this team? Uh, I was thought you were going to go with statues, but I don't think I'm going to go with statues. But I got to do the Thai Cats first, man. No, um, look, it, it's um, we will see. Um, I, I'm reserving judgment on this one. If they come out on Labor Day and play the Argos and look like an inspired team that is organized and that is playing with the kind of game that we expected that they were going to be this year, you may look at this and say, you know what? Uh, first of all, you would look at it and say, okay, good decision on the coaching change, especially if it persists for the next few weeks. But second of all, this would indicate maybe the guys had tuned Kent Austin out and were done with him, and this was why you needed to change. But if they come out, and maybe I expect them to be a little bit fired up at the beginning because the coaching change always brings a little bit of excitement and whatever – but if it's the same old team down, you know, as the season goes along, 
then it's not about Kent Austin, the coach. It's about the fact your players aren't good enough. And I, I let's wait in, for a couple of weeks and let's see for the next couple of games under June Jones whether this looks like a different team or the same team. We'll ask this question again as we get into mid-September and see whether this coaching change made any difference or not. I, I don't know. It ha- I mean, it really had to happen, if nothing else but to mollify the fans because they mm. were braying for Kent Austin's head. But I, we, we will see if it's going to have any impact or not. I honestly don't know. All right. Uh, now I will ask you, should the name John A. McDonald be removed from Ontario schools? Oh. It's a tough one. No, it's not a tough one at all. Isn't it? I think it's going to be a big debate. I think it's going to be a big debate. My question, and we talked about this on the show, where does this stop? No, you're right. Where, where does this Because you can go through, show me the one person. But couldn't they you, say that in the United States? Can we draw a parallel oh, to the United States? I don't think we can draw a parallel. Can. I don't no, think we, we can because we're two different countries. It's two different issues. Yeah, but no, the, well, the, the underlying issue is the same. We are finding there are things that people 100, 150, 200 years ago that they did that don't fit into our modern sensibilities and modern political acceptances. And the problem is we live in different times, and it's difficult, it's impossible to apply our life, our modern realities, our sense of social justice to what was going on back then. I don't like the idea in any way that people had slaves or that people were causing a, 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 a you know, a what do you call it, where they were clearing out the native people yeah. and the indigenous. I don't, that stuff isn't nice, but I think it's very easy for us 200 years later to say, oh, well, they were horrible for doing that. These are different times, and that's where I run into some real problems now. They're wanting, they, you've got all the Confederate guys getting taken down. Fine. I, again, I'm not a, I got no horse in the fight. I got no dog in the fight for the Confederate soldiers. But we're now hearing people say, well, Christopher Columbus should be removed from the public square because he was part of a, yeah. he helped to wipe out the native people. Then I go online, I'm not making this up, people are saying George Washington should be taken off Mount Rushmore and the name of Washington, D.C. should be changed and yeah. statues be taken down because he had slaves. Mm-hmm. Show me, Scott, the one person, leader, not leader, statue, not statue, show me the person who you can go into their life and not find something that you wish was different. You, we could not have anything named after anybody anywhere because everyone's got these things in their closet. I just there's a point when you say, wait, if we're going to do this, if we're going to start going down this road, we have to burn all books that have things in it that are offensive to us. To kill a mockingbird has words, for example, that we would never use in polite company or in any company. Now, that book can never be read. Take it out of the libraries. Get rid of it. Don't teach it in schools. You are walking down a path that there is no end to. And so rather than simply take everything down, burn everything, shut everything, let's, let's have a discussion about this. Put a plaque on it if you want and say, here, he's a complicated man, mm. but here's what he did. We had, I guess you've got to go, but think back about 15 years ago, the discussion that was going on in North America when ISIS and the Taliban was going around blowing up all those statues. I thought of the same thing. I thought of the same and thing. And we said that's the same outrageous. Thing. I know. They I, know. I just came back history. from Europe. I just came back from Europe, where, where you know people pay lots of money to go around and see these things. So yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I agree with you. You there. tell me where the end line yeah. is, yeah. and so, everything offends someone. Yeah. So if everything that offends anybody has to be removed, all we have left is a field. Scott Radley has been with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist, of course, sports columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. You can hear him every weeknight right here on CHML. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Have a great weekend.
You too, sir. Thanks. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.